Hello and welcome to the Beamy podcast. I'm your host, Maurice Gordon. I am the chair of the Beamy editorial committee and I am uh, podcasting from our local institution, University of Central Lancashire. And I'm joined by my good colleague, Elaine Hill, who's a senior lecturer in the School of Health Sciences and also another member of the BIG. Hello, Elaine. Hello. Uh, I'm really interested to talk to you today. Essentially, um, this is... um, a podcast that's part plug uh, for a now published Beamy review. So this is a Beamy review uh, that um, is really something that I was excited to see reach uh, fruition. Um, it's Beamy Guide number 46 that was published in uh, the Medical Teacher Journal back in November, published online November the 2nd, uh, pages 1 to 18, um, and is available um, on the Medical Teacher website under those um, uh, those areas that time if you search it's workplace learning through collaboration in primary healthcare a beamy realist review of what works for whom and in what circumstances now realist it's become a very exciting area in systematic review across health education um, and having the chance for Peter Pipe to speak um, about this firsthand just um, around the time this went live as a podcast back in the um, Amy Beamy Short communication session in Helsinki last summer was very, very useful. So we're going to give you the chance to listen to that session and indeed the questions at the end of it. And then we are going to just give you a few thoughts about this. So uh, with no further ado, I'll transfer to myself a few months ago. Okay, moving on to abstract number four. We're joined by Peter. He's piped from University Hospital, Department of Family Medicine and Primary Healthcare uh, in the Ghent University in Belgium now. Very interested to see this piece. Workplace learning through collaboration in primary healthcare, a Beamy realist review of what works for whom and in what circumstances. So whenever you're ready, Thank take you. it away. Good morning, everybody. I will talk to you about the process of writing this realist review, which has taken us some years and uh, which has been accepted for publication last week. And I know it's not done to brag about <laughs> Thank you. No, I know it's not done to brag about a publication, but hey, I'm doing it anyhow, because (laughs) this has taken us four years, and honestly, we were all relieved that we managed to finalize it in the end. Um, This means that we came across a lot of obstacles, problems that we had to encounter, and fortunately, we learned from it. So the main thing I want to talk to you about is which obstacles we encountered. And I had to make a selection, because we only have ten minutes. Um, but talking about the obstacles, unfortunately, leaves me no space to talk about the content. So, but you will be able to read it shortly. So the background. Healthcare, healthcare systems are changing. Um, one of the consequences is that in primary care, um, interprofessional collaboration is becoming more prominent. And we all know that work and learning are inseparable. Uh, they go together. So we thought workplace learning, working during, thanks to collaboration, even without specific focus on the learning, is something we need to look into. And uh, as Maurice said, we are from the Department of Family Medicine in Ghent University, so we're all interested in what happens between age 25 and 65 with this learning on the work floor. So I will go in a chronological way through these um, steps that you all know very well, and I will point out at some major problems we encountered. So first, we got the idea, workplace learning. What is it? Uh, how does it work? Does it work after all? So we said, good, let's write a systematic review. But as soon as we started collecting evidence, as we heard from the first speaker, heterogeneity of studies, we thought, this will be difficult. Does it work or not, workplace learning? 
So we thought, no, this doesn't work, a systematic review. Um, but we're collecting studies now, so let's move on and let's write a narrative review. Um, but then a narrative review is kind of descriptive, and it does not lead us to understand what really happens during the workplace learning. So then we said, we want to know what works, for whom, in what circumstances, how, and why. So this deeper understanding of workplace learning, and then we stumbled upon to the concept of realist review. A realist review, I'm not sure if everyone is familiar with this, is a theory-driven, interpretative approach to configure context, mechanisms, and outcomes. <clears throat> and this CMO, context, mechanism, and outcomes, is a very important aspect of realist reviews. It is a way of understanding and reporting on primary studies. You describe a specific context that triggers certain mechanisms, and these mechanisms then cause certain outcomes. All this is being described very clearly in a guidance document, the Ramesses um, Quality Standards, which we every now and then consulted, but not enough apparently. <laughs> so an example, MCD, moral case deliberation, when you are with a team and you discuss patient cases with a strong moral problem for patient or for the um, professionals. So during moral case deliberations with healthcare professionals in elderly care, a specific context, and this specific context triggered the professionals to share frustrations and emotions and to search for relief of their distress. And this dynamic, this mechanism of sharing emotions and uh, frustrations caused people to step back and to listen to others and to learn to understand others' viewpoints. So this CMO concept is something we tried to find in every primary study as it is a primordial uh, aspect of realist reviews. <clears throat> Next, we went to the scoping searches. We tried to look for a middle-range theory. A middle-range theory is a theory that is abstract enough to be a theory, but not too abstract, as the purpose is to um, add our literature what we found in literature, to the theory, trying to adapt and make the theory better. So theory versus one, version one, literature, interpretation, and then you end up with theory version two. Next problem, we found no overarching middle-range theory for workplace learning in primary care. You will soon understand how this comes. So then we went to our stakeholders, every professional in primary care, we had discussions, how do you think it works, what is important, what is relevant, and these implicit assumptions of the stakeholders' meetings, we combined with the explicit um, theories, learning theories that we found in literature, and so we developed a set of 22 statements. This is not an overarching theory. These are 22 statements, each capturing some aspect of um, workplace learning. And we said, okay, we have no theory, but this might do the trick as well. Simultaneously, we had to find a research question, and again, broad or narrow. And as we found no previous review on workplace learning primary care, we said, let's go for it, we go broad. We want to know everything, we want to understand everything. And as you see, this is our research question. Who learns, when is learning taking place, how does it occur, what is being learned? So we want to know everything about uh, workplace learning. And this, again, was a problem, because this was one of the reasons that we found no overarching theory. And as you know, that this overarching theory, the middle-range theory, is one of the key uh, dynamics in writing a realist review. 
then you understand that this broad research question causing no overarching theory, causing all the rest of our problems. This is what we all know. This went rather smoothly, although it took us a lot of time to do this. But then again, the extraction of the results. We had our primary studies. And a realist review is not to look if it works or not, but how does it work? So to understand and to attach this understanding to existing theories. So we said, well, in primary studies, in the introduction, authors write about the theory underpinning their research. So should we also code the introduction? Results, we have to code. That's clear. But then, as it is about understanding, authors of primary studies, in their discussion, they attach meaning to their results. So they say, they explicitly um, um, tell us how they understand their results. So if you want to write an understanding review, maybe we should also code the discussion section. So this took us two months to figure this out. And then we had our 22 statements. We coded all of the primary studies, pieces of the primary studies, into the statements where they belonged. And then we had each statement we took separately, and we looked at all the data in each statement. And we tried to write a CMO configuration for each separate study. And after that, because we had to try to figure out some theoretical uh, issues, we said, let's take all the studies of one statement and write an overarching CMO concept for each statement, and then we would be able to build a new theory. So this is an example, title of the study, the summary, what's the study about, and then in the end, again, you recognize the CMO. In this setting of primary palliative care, nurses were triggered to behave in this way, and this led to this outcome. So CMO for each study was not a problem. So then you said, okay, instead of theory version 1 and version 2, we have 22 statements version 1 and version 2. Um, but combining the statements was difficult. Even within one statement, uh, we had conflicting data. So writing an overarching um, CMO concept for each statement was not feasible. Um, secondly, combining the statements, because a first version of the um, report was a report of 22 statements, and this was not readable. We got it back very quickly from the PIMI collaboration. So then we <laughs> presented it like this. You see context, mechanism, outcomes, and the references of the studies. And then you can say, okay, in context two, you have mechanism uh, one, for instance, leading to outcome two. This is feasible. Of course, we had different things like this, but the problem was that we had figures like this. We have context describing papers, but no mechanisms and outcomes attached. So this is a problem for the presentation of our results, but these, of course, are gaps in literature that might inform uh, research agendas. Synthesizing again, conflicting combining statements, and then incorporating theory, CMO concepts into the theory, which is one of the purposes of Realist Review. This was not easy in these figures, so we solved the problem like this. Sentence one of our discussion is a part of our results, and then we compared it with some theoretical points. And then again, so that's how we tried to bring our results into a theoretical framework. Preparing the report, as I said, according to analytical framework or to the research questions, version one, two, three, four, I'm not sure if it's four or five, but a lot. Um, and then finally we got our report. So what will we do next time? First of all, we heard it before, read some more realist reviews. We read one or two, but 
four years ago there weren't that many on these kind of topics. So we read a few and thought, okay, now we know what it's about. <laughs> but after reading more now, every realist review is different. Okay. Uh, involves someone with experience. We were young, at least my team was young and enthusiastic, <laughs> but we had no experience. So involving someone who have written at least one realist review would have been a big help. Narrow the scope, because narrowing the scope would have been able us to define the realist theory, so we would have written two reviews instead of one in the same amount of time. And uh, read the Ramesses, and many thanks for the patience and the constructive feedback of the BME collaboration. Thank you. Okay, any questions? Go ahead, Madalena. Just maybe, I think, uh, when you have done and making much the statements, you do it uh, making the, the material to speak, so you take everything, or you go on with a, a grid, let's say, so it, would, it was taking everything the, the primary studies tells you that could be influenced, or you have like categories or a a priori or a posteriori, let's say. For your 22 statements? Yes. Um, well, we had done our scoping okay, search, yeah. okay, so we had some idea. Part of my PhD was on workplace learning, so we had some idea in our group what it was about. But then the most important thing was the stakeholder meeting. So we had every profession uh, in workplace, in, in primary care. We collected them and we had many, many discussions to see what is relevant, what might be something uh, important in workplace learning. And so out of what we got from literature, we went to the stakeholder group and then some were added, some statements, and some were left out. So the stakeholder meeting was, in fact, the decision group on this. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, was there a particular software that you used to manage all of this data as well as graphics you showed? We did everything in, in vivo, oh, okay. uh, like you do for coding interviews. And so, so in vivo was our main uh, software package, and then the brain of one of my colleagues. But in vivo was the main uh, uh, software package, yes. <laughs> Any other questions? Go ahead. Uh, could you say a bit more about the stakeholder group? When, when in the process did they meet and how many times and how did they inform the different stages? Okay. Um, at the very start, so as soon as we realized that the systematic review wouldn't work um, and we stumbled upon this, um, because at one of the previous conferences I had a drink with someone who turned out to be from the race and said, hey, write a really review. And um, from that point on, I immediately uh, started to talk to the stakeholders. So at the very start, we had to, to see uh, what workplace learning is about. So this was one. And then we did some work in our office combining uh, literature uh, results with what the stakeholders group has said. And after having uh, drawn the statements, then we went back. So in fact, twice exploratory and then confirmatory after having combined the minutes of the first meeting with the literature. So, twice. And who shared results? Were they involved in kind of sense-making of the... Um, not this stakeholders group, but our uh, team is also multidisciplinary. 
with educators, um, nurses, uh, psychologists, uh, uh, family physicians, and so in the team, the team functioned in fact as a uh, sense-making reflection group. But we did not go back to um, the stakeholders. But it's a good, uh, good suggestion. We might do it. Uh, yes, thank you. Right, so uh, really good to see that again. Uh, first of all, I would say, um, as I cut out uh, what I said in, in the uh, session itself, which is a real congratulations to the team um, uh, who did this. Obviously, um, Peter did um, beautifully uh, describe the challenges and the difficulties with this process and also the great strengths of what came out at the end. There was clearly a lot of excitement um, around what he'd done and real the level of achievement of seeing and herding through such a sub- significant and substantial review um, um, I think um, needs to be recognised and so real congratulations to them. I would strongly advise anyone and everyone to read this review, not just for content, which is fascinating, but as much in the context of this podcast and what we're really interested in as a, as a learning point for, for methodology within systematic review. Uh, and that really brings me on to, um, um, to chat to you, Elaine, about, um, uh, which is really a more general discussion about realist review. Now, um, an internal plug, um, I had a conversation with Jeff Wong, who um, I'm happy to coin as the modern father of realist review within health education um, and, and I think he would be happy with that moniker although having spoken to Jeff probably very very um, uh, uh, embarrassed by it but I think that's just the guy he is and that's why he's so phenomenal um, and essentially um, realist review has an increasing interest from everyone and I get a lot a lot of inquiries saying that people want to do a systematic review and they'd like to do a realist uh, and I think that raises a real concern because I think when you hear Peter talk you realise that this is not a small undertaking and it's not just because of the scope or size of the review. And we've talked about in other podcasts how you can narrow a review or focus a review. But I think realist as a methodology needs such a realignment. Um, and this is what Jeff Wong in our other podcast that I'm plugging essentially discussed when we had the chance to talk to him. Um, it's certainly such a realignment. So when you have Jeff on the one hand telling you as he did in our other podcast, to basically make sure you have real skill and had real training in this area. And there's limited training available. Coupled with hearing Peter's first-hand experience, I wonder what you're left with as a conclusion, what it makes you think about potentially the prospects. If I said, go on, Elaine, let's have a go with the realist review. Mm, an interesting question. From the point of view of um, what the objectives are of it are, um, I think it's absolutely fascinating. And... Yes, I'd like to go and do it. Um, and then when you listen to the reality of what the problems were, it uh, doesn't sound quite as attractive. <laughs> I mean, it really does seem as its core that for those of us involved in health, obviously your background from, from, from a nursing perspective, mine from a medical perspective, it does seem very alien to every form of understanding we would have in terms of knowledge, in terms of research, in terms of what primary evidence looks like, that we've been trained for our entire careers. And I think that's more than those of us who work in education like we do, that transference from strict quantitative to embracing other methodologies and ways of looking. It's almost a step further than that. Yeah. I think it's a little bit like the, you know, if you go back in history, everything was quantitative, wasn't it? We were just interested in numbers. Did this work? Didn't it work? How many people did it work for? And thankfully, we've moved away from just looking at those things now and saying, well, you know, it might work, but what's it like for the person that it's working for? Mm. And I suppose it's it's another shift of that nature, isn't it? That instead of just, you know, what's the outcome, 
it's the question of why have we got the outcome? How is it working? And that's actually a more interesting question. No, I, I, I know. And this is, I think, what the problem is. When you hear the pitch for realist review, it hits all the buttons. Yeah. Uh, and um, when I spoke with Jeff, I monikered this, this term that it, it's the fool's gold of systematic review and education because it does have that shimmer yeah. when you look at it. But the reality is not that it can't deliver. I think it can. I think it delivers with a price. And that price is that I would be an advocate that people with limited experience, and I'm going to put this out as a question because this is where we started together, yeah. who understand the world of education and health but haven't done a systematic review in health education before, can rapidly be supported and mentored into being very leadership role and outputting their own review in a rapid time period using more traditional methods, more systematic elements of the method that are well-defined and a synthesis that is more content-based, more narrative-based and possibly has very basic forms of qualitative analysis. I think the jump over to realist is such a gulf that I would not have that confidence. And I don't know if you would either. Um, No, I think I would need to have a few more reviews under my belt and also support from somebody that has experience in uh, the realist mm. sort of approach before mm. I attempted to do anything like that because although it is absolutely fascinating and I think it ideally it's what I'd like to do as an approach um, it's just a lot there's, there's a lot more issues with it there's a lot more complexities and subtleties yeah okay well and really I think that's all I have to say on this I mean I think it was such a phenomenal talk from from Peter and it's such a fantastic paper I I think really the focus of this podcast would be to direct people to those resources and I would say um, um, this is not a no this is not a negative to realist review far from it I think it's one of the most powerful tools in our our arsenal and I think Peter proves that with the quality of his end result and um, with the journey they went through. My advice simply would be to follow what Jeff says and what I think you've voiced today, which is to make sure that when you go into it, you go into it with your eyes open. You go into it knowing the undertaking is not necessarily harder, but different to what maybe we've done before. And like anything different, if you embrace that and therefore bring in expertise that can, that can plug that gap, um, you can come up with a result that can deliver. And I think if you do that, Realist Review is definitely a tool that I would increasingly love to be seen because it so innately meets one of the, the poor missing outcomes we see in Systematic Review, which is a, a utility to the outcome in context. Uh, and so to, to listeners, um, may I suggest you go to those resources. I'm always delighted, as are any of our uh, BME partners in BICS or across the editorial committee of BME, to have conversations with people, to support you at the planning stages, to help link you through to expertise um, and uh, please um, um, come to us with those questions. But if not, we really look forward to seeing um, some really good quality realist review in the future. Uh, Thank you, as always, for listening. Uh, We look forward to joining you again in the next Beanie podcast. Uh, And thank you for your time.